0: Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Thanks John, thank you worship team, heartfelt thank you to all the veterans in our church and community. God bless you, may you sense your church's gratitude. Uh, today, from your church family, I want to begin today by planting the seed of a question, and we'll come back to it in in just a minute. But the question is: What is one thing that no one has? What is one thing that no one has? Uh, don't fill it in on your app yet. If you see it on there, don't look for the answer yet. Just think about that. Thank you for being here today. We're getting excited for the holiday season approaching planning great ways for us to celebrate together as a church family and with your family. Uh, I know many of you are enjoying your small group. I always love hearing about small groups that uh, do something uh, around Thanksgiving or the holiday season to uh, celebrate one another. I hope you'll join us back next week uh, because next weekend is what I call the last sane moment of the year. And uh, so next week, we will celebrate the last sane moment of the year before Thanksgiving, before holidays, before Christmas, before New Year's. And uh, we'll kick things off, the celebration season, in a great way. I have a message on sanity that we all need to hear next week. So I hope you'll be here. Uh, An exciting worship opportunity. going to be a great way to kick off the season. I also want to begin today uh, with reading a short uh, testimony Uh, from one of the teenagers in our youth group, and they make it a discipline to write out what God has been doing in their life lately. And I love this one from uh, this young man. He said, recently, I've been doubting whether God is real or not. Sometimes I find myself doubting God and my faith, and I feel ashamed. What can I do? I have been reading my Bible. God gives us plenty of evidence to believe in him. Doubt comes when we ignore all the evidence. When doubt turns to disbelief, we are in danger of ignoring God. I saw a daring faith lesson about people doubting God. The lesson lesson helped me not to get stuck in my doubt. Doubt can be good or bad depending on how we use it. I can use my questions to learn about God and make my faith stronger. As a result, I should not doubt God's promise of salvation. God has promised that Christians will live forever with him in heaven. Satan can never snatch us away from our eternal life with God. One of the best surprises has been inviting friends to youth group and helping other families with their questions about God. Pray for me to keep a daring faith and keep inviting others to church. How awesome is that? I thought, man, I should have asked him to preach today for crying out loud. Today we're going to look at the most repeated line in, in the whole Bible. It's the most repeated verse, the most repeated line in Scripture. It, here's one place where it shows up, Psalm 136.1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let, let's read this one more time out loud together. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. When we understand God's goodness, that's the birthplace of gratitude, the birthplace of joy, because his faithful love endures forever. That's what builds confidence and stands powerfully against our doubt. It's what stands powerfully against our fear. And so this phrase that is so important to God and has been so important to uh, Christ followers and God followers for centuries, I want us to understand why. And let, let me ask it this way. This is going to help us understand why this is so crucial. Is what is the one thing that no one has? And maybe you've thought up some good answers. And there's actually, you know, many answers that would be good for for this. But here's the one that I want to offer today here's the one thing that no one seems to have no one seems to have enough (laughs) right we have more but we don't have enough because the more you have the more you want now you might say oh Ryland I have had enough (laughs) I have had more than enough I've had it up to here. I've had enough. But even in that there's a sense of wanting more, wanting more peace or things aren't the way you want them. So you've had enough and and the way things are aren't good enough. Now why can't we get enough? Well, when God created the world, everything was right. And when, when God had things the way that he wanted them, everything was yes. Can I have that? Yes. Can I have this? Yes. Here, you want this? Yes. Have all this. And God provided every good thing for us. But at the very uh, center of the Garden of Eden, which is powerful because it illustrates the very center of who we are, there, there was one no. No. Genesis 2 15 says the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it but the Lord God warned him you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil if you eat its fruit you are sure to die and then during the temptation account Satan comes and gets us to doubt God's truthfulness And he says, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So he distorts what God says. Did God really say you won't die? The serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So the message is God's holding out on you. God's not really good. He's not giving you everything that you need or want, and there's something you're missing out on. So we took our eyes off of every good gift that God had given us and focused on the one thing that we couldn't have. Just like happens in our life today, big and small. We start focusing on the house that we don't have more than the one we do have, Uh, just like happens in our relationships. We start focusing on the woman that we don't have. The man that we don't have rather than the one we do have. The kids we don't have rather than the kids we do have. The peace in our life that we don't have rather than the peace that we do have or can't. The skill set I don't have rather than all the skill sets that I've been given. The health that I don't have. The health that I used to have but don't have any longer. The person that I don't have in my life any longer because I lost them and so I'm focusing on, more on them than the people that I do have. And this thought enters in that if God were good, he would give me that. If God were good, I wouldn't have to want that. I would have it. If God were good, I would have the health that I wanna have. If God were good, I would have the person that I lost. If God were good, I would have the spouse that I want. And so God must not be good because I don't have it. And the promise that we make ourselves is that if we got the one thing that we didn't have, then God would be good. Then we would be happy. Then life would be more meaningful because we would have what we want. And we believe the lie, even though that God warned us that if, if we do that, it would remove us from the source of life in the universe. And as a result of our selfishness, we damaged everything. We destroyed our relationship with God. Uh, We ultimately uh, made ourselves spiritually dead and separated from him. Uh, We destroy our relationship with one another, even ourselves as a result of it. And we live in a broken world that we experience today. Jealousy and oppression and injustice and corruption Because of the sin nature in us that says it's not enough. And the one thing I don't have, if God would give it to me, then he'd be good. All because we focus on the thing that we don't have. Believing that one thing would give us what we really wanted. Which, by the way, what would happen if you got everything you wanted? You ever thought about that? What what if life was just unbroken? I want this. I get it, I want this, I get it, I want this, I got it, I want this, I got it. Wow, God is really good. I keep getting what I want. What would happen if just one thing after another? The Bible actually answers that a couple of different ways. One of them is the Israelites 3,500 years ago. What's the one thing they wanted? They wanted to be free from slavery in Egypt. And then they said, then it'd be great. That's the one thing they want. God doesn't just give them freedom. Uh, He causes the Egyptians to weigh them down with blessings and gold and wealth. And so they leave and now they're free and they're wealthy and God's providing for them. He's protecting them in the wilderness. And uh, he's also giving them, providing them food, which was called manna. And it was a bread-like substance that God would make appear every morning on the ground. And it was something you could grind up So it was like a flour, and you could use it to bake and cook, and it had nutrients and vitamins. So God was providing more, more freedom, more food, but it wasn't enough. And they began to focus on the one thing that they didn't have, and what was the one thing that they did not have? Meat. Come on, somebody, that was the one thing, and they said, they started complaining to God and said, we want meat. When we were slaves in Egypt, even, we had meat. And they started complaining to God, God must not be good because we had meat, now we don't have meat, and we want meat, and so God isn't good. And they started complaining to God. And finally, uh, God said to Moses, "Uh, you go tell the people, I'm going to give them meat to eat. And God said, and I'm not going to give it to them just for one day, not even just one week. I'm going to give them a month of all the meat they could eat. And Moses, um, I love what he basically said. Do you know what he said to God? He said, that's impossible. (laughs) And I love what God said. Do you know what God said back? He said, has my arm grown weak like just watch and see if I can't provide you some meat. So God flew in quail uh, from uh, different areas and the next day people are capturing quail and cooking up quail and eating meat. And they don't do that for one day, they do it day after day for a month, God provides meat for the people to eat. And some people were so obsessed with the meat that they ate it and they literally gorged themselves, they were so greedy and it became a plague among them and they literally killed themselves on the meat. Look at what it says in Numbers 11, 34. So that place was called Kibroth Ava, which means graves of gluttony because they buried the people who had craved meat from Egypt. They buried the people that said the one thing that we want, then God would be good. Watch what it says in the Psalms here, recounting this. He gave them exactly what they asked for, but along with it, they got an empty heart. And so what happens when you get everything you want, but you end up in a grave of craving? You end up with an empty heart. Another way the Bible tells us what happens when you get everything you want is through King Solomon. And King Solomon became the wealthiest, most influential man ever. And after he became so rich and so influential, Solomon says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So we like to think, If I got what I wanted, life would be meaningful. And Solomon says, no, it really becomes meaningless. And the dangerous place for us is thinking just one more thing. That would be enough. Then I could say, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. This one thing I lost, if I could just have that back. Then the Lord would be good and his love would endure forever. But God gives us a answer to the meaningless. He gives us an answer to the striving. He gives us an answer to this temptation that God is holding out on you. In Psalm 118, open for me the gates where the righteous enter and I will go in and thank the Lord. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is wonderful to see this is the day the lord has made we will rejoice and be glad in it and so god's solution is not a surface level solution god's solution is that you come with gratitude to him give thanks to the lord for his love endures forever again this is not a surface level solution this verse that i just read psalm 118 is the verse that jesus referred to when he was being rejected by his own people. They said, well, he's not what we were expecting. He's not enough. He's not enough. And he said, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the day of salvation. Be glad in it. And when you do that, it literally brings a little bit of heaven to Earth, you know, when we focus on God's faithful love, His eternal love, uh, because only eternal life can bring about eternal life, it brings heaven to Earth. You know, if you were to go on a on a really great vacation, uh, and you're leaving, let's say we're leaving in three months to go on a great vacation. Somebody tell me what's a great vacation spot to go to in three months. Florida. Okay, I heard Florida. That would be perfect because in three months it's going to be dead of winter in Belton, Missouri. We got to get out of here. We got to get to Florida. So we're headed to Florida in three months, and one of the great things about looking forward to a vacation is is the anticipation. And so when it's a really cold day in Belton, Missouri in the winter, and we start thinking about going to Florida, we get just a little bit of slice of Florida right then, that day. Just just a little bit in the anticipation. We look forward to it, it kind of warms us up. It gives us something that I can get through this, we're going to Florida. And we get just a little slice of that weather, a little slice of that dream that day. Similarly, when you look forward to your future with God in the same way, and you start thinking about how God made a way for you to do that, and how Jesus went to the cross, And how he died in your place and what he did to achieve eternal glory for you and it's just something that he gives you and it's a free gift from him when you trust in him, and so when you believe in him, he makes you a child of God, and he clothes you with his righteousness, and he gives you the mind of Christ, and he's adopted you into his family, and he's forgiven you eternal forgiveness, eternal love, because his faithful love lasts forever. When you focus on that, when you think about that, when you set your mind on those things, it gives you just a little slice of heaven today. And it literally begins bringing heaven to earth because we focus on God's faithful love that endures forever, his eternal love that gives eternal life. The question I kind of have, though, is what percentage of people are really doing that? What percentage of people are bringing heaven to earth? What percentage of people are living with anticipation and are grateful and, um, I don't really know what percentage of people are, but I can tell you Jesus tells a story that gives us some kind of clue maybe as to whether or not we're that person. Uh, Jesus passes by 10 people who've been ravaged by leprosy and they've been ostracized from their communities. They're disfigured. They are feared. They cannot be around their family. What's the one thing that they want in life? The one thing that they want is to be whole, is to be healed. If they could just be healed, if they could just be whole, they could be reintegrated into their family, reintegrated into their community. They could have a relationship again. They wouldn't have to live in pain of losing their body to leprosy and this horrific disease. And so they cry out in faith to Jesus And say, Jesus, heal us. Make us whole. Would you save us? Jesus, have compassion on us. And Jesus says, I'm going to heal you. Yes. Uh, But then he does it a very Jesus kind of way (laughs) where it takes some faith on their part. And he says, uh, here's what's going to happen. You go present yourself to the priest as though you were healed. And he will declare you cleansed so that you can be reintegrated. But I want you to go on your way to show yourself to the priest before you've been healed. And so uh, they look at it and say, it's going to take faith. I say, I don't see it, but Jesus sees it. And so we're going to live based on what he sees from his perspective. And they set off. I just so wish we could hear the conversation between them of like, do you really think he's going to do it? What's going to happen here? What's it going to feel like? To be made whole? To get I my mean, body parts back? To get open sores closed? To What will happen? What will this feel like? Do you think it will happen? And as they're going along, somewhere between the time they talked to Jesus and before they got to the priest, on their way on this faith journey, they are healed and they are whole. And one of them comes running back to Jesus and throws himself at the feet of Jesus and says, thank you. Praise God. Thank you. And Jesus' response just rips your heart out because he says, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? And I wonder what it would take for you and I to say thank you and give glory to God today for the good things that he has given. What would it take? Because again, what we're talking about is not obviously to God, obviously to Jesus. This is not surface level. In fact, a password into God's presence. You know, the most valuable things we have in life are insulated by passwords. And to keep it safe and secure, uh, you've got to think up a password that is both memorable and unpredictable, right? So it's got to be memorable enough that you remember it, but it can't be predictable enough that someone else could just guess it and know it. And what's amazing is the password into God's presence is incredibly memorable, and it's not so predictable. The password into God's presence, Psalm 104, is thank you. And you might recognize this passage as enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, give thanks to him, praise his name, for his faithful love endures forever. And when you thank Jesus, you literally step into the presence of God. You're moving closer to God. It does something in our heart and it impacts our soul. Every person in this room knows this because when we were kids and we were given a gift, our parents said, what do you say? And we would say, thank you. And now today we teach that to our kids. They're given a gift. What do you say? Thank you. And we know that it trains our hearts. We know that we want our kids to grow up as grateful people. So we're going to practice it right now because it's literally a healthy practice for us to say thank you. So in your response right now where you are, just say thank you when I prompt you. When you taste something that is so good and you realize that God gave, gave you the sense of taste and you think about that and you realize, wow, he really didn't have to do that. Like he could have done this many different ways. I didn't have to have this, but I taste this. And so you taste something and it's really good. And you say, you go to bed and you're lying there. And there's a lot of worries and pressures and like a lot of people you're mad at from the day. But you start thinking about, holy cow, my heart beat like 100,000 times today. And I got to see the sunrise or the sunset and the wonder of creation, and you say, when you read something and you realize your mind is tracking or you're in a conversation and you can understand it and track with it, and you realize that's actually not true for everybody right now, today, and so you just recognize that and you say, you're reminded that you get to look forward to heaven because God saved you from hell and Jesus paid your death penalty in your place on the cross and gave you new life, and you say, Thank you. That's right. And the Bible tells us what the leading spiritual indicator is in a life. The indicator you can tell which way your life is. Is my life moving away from God or is my life moving toward God? In Romans 1, it tells us they knew God. But they wouldn't worship him as God, or even give him thanks. So what happens when you don't worship God? What happens when you don't give Jesus thanks in worship to God? They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like, and as a result, their minds became dark and confused. When we are grateful to Christ, we move towards God. We move toward worship. A life centered on Christ is fulfilled in Christ. When we complain, when we take our trust into our own hands, when we say, well, if I just had the one more thing that I wanted, then God would be good, our minds become dark and confused and we become distorted on who God really is and what he's up to in our lives. I I love it when research backs up exactly what the Bible has said all along. And what gratitude studies uh, show us is that the more grateful you are, the more creative, the more energetic, the more connected, the more money you earn in your life, you're more forgiving, you're more graceful, gracious, more joyful. One specific Harvard study uh, showed this, and I almost hesitated to tell you that because what in the world do they know, right? But uh, they found out something that was so interesting, they discovered that it's harder for guys to be grateful. Why is it harder for guys to be great? They learned that it's difficult for guys to just say thank you. Like it may have been hard for you just a minute ago when I was prompting you to say it, you didn't want to say it. Guys feel more indebted, they feel more obligated, they feel more anxious just by saying thank you. But guys, when you and I do say thank you, the studies show that there's an even greater return on creativity and energy and connection and all those benefits. It reduces substance abuse. It reduces depression. Why? What is thankfulness? Thankfulness, you know this, is appreciating what I have. Giving thanks in all circumstances. And whatever you're facing, good things or bad, uh, this is gratitude, to give thanks in all circumstances. It's not denying what things are happening. Uh, it's not giving thanks for all the circumstances. But it's saying, I know God is transforming me. And we can be thankful because every good thing I have is a gift from God. And so when you're grateful, when you're appreciating what you have, you're actually affirming that God is good And he is bringing everything about in my life for good. And every good thing is a gift from him. It's a radically different message than the world. I mean, the world comes at us with this big lie. Same one as in the very beginning. God's holding out on you. Look at your life. Look at your stuff. You deserve better. And it's constantly making us dissatisfied. Where the Christian perspective is I am constantly satisfied by Christ. He is enough. And I am satisfied. I am fulfilled. And so the Christian practices the discipline of taking the opportunity to appreciate what you have. You know who I believe the most thankful people in the world are? Coffee drinkers. Okay? Just stick with me. Because what happens is coffee drinkers illustrate for us what true gratitude looks like every day. Uh, they wake up, they stumble out of bed, they make it to the kitchen or the coffee shop, they get their little coffee, and they hold it. <laughs> and it's so warm, nice, and it's like your own little personal fireplace just right there for you, right? And there's all the aroma. and They just sit with it for a moment. And they take a drink, and what do they do? They go, ah. <laughs> That's gratitude right there. That is the sound of gratitude. They just huddle around it. Ah. You say, well, I'm, I'm not a coffee drinker, or I don't know what that has to do with my life. Here's what it has to do with your life. You go, you, uh, go and you leave church today, and you get in your car, and it's not your dream car maybe, it's not the one you want right now, but it's the one that you have, and you go and you sit down in it, and you get in it, and you go, "Ah." (laughs) and you appreciate what you have. And you uh, go home, and you pull up to your apartment or your house and you go into your apartment, you go into your house, and it's not the one you've been thinking about lately because you've been thinking about the other one, but this is the one you have, and you wanna appreciate, so you just sit down in the apartment of the house that you have. That's the sound of gratitude. And uh, you go up to your kids, and you love your kids, and they're just a reminder that the faithful love of the Lord endures forever, And you just grab your kids, and you hold them tight, and you hug them, and you go. And you go up to your spouse, and some of you haven't done this in way too long, and you need to pop the bubble today, and you need to go up to them today, and you grab them and put your arms around them and give them a big hug. And like, dude, you don't even have to say anything. Just give them a big hug and go. and you sit down with a friend, you have them over for dinner, and you're just so thankful for this friend and the way that they've walked through you with different things, and you just sit down with them next for food. And you appreciate what God has given you, and you come into worship, and the worship team is leading us, and you start thinking about how God has saved you from your sin, And he has saved you from destroying yourself. And he has saved you, snatched you from the fires of hell. And he's given you eternal love. And he has promised you that everything that you're going through right now, he will turn out for your good and work out for your reward and a good future in him. And you stand there and worship. (sighs) Thank you, God, for saving me. Jesus, you are enough. You are good. I don't need another thing to prove that you are good. I worship you today. The Apostle Paul said, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Contentment is something we've learned, it's the discipline of the sound of gratitude. So, how do we do that? Well, David is a, a model of it in Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, He says, uh, let's read this out loud together. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he's done for me. Now he goes on in Psalm 103, to list several things that God has done for him. Uh, He says, he forgives all my sins, he heals all my diseases, he redeems me from death, he crowns me with love and tender mercies, he's filled my life with good things, my youth is renewed like the eagles, and that list is how David knew that God is good. That list is how we know that David knew that God is good. I want to ask you, how do you know God is good? And how do the people in your life know that you know that God is good and his faithful love endures forever? So, uh, you fill in the rest. Let's pray together. Jesus, our Savior, you are enough. And we lay down all the one more things that we want, all the one more things that we want back Uh, that we put on a pedestal and say if I had this then I'd worship you if I had this then uh, you would be good and we sacrifice all of that today in worship Lord we praise you and thank you for giving us so many reasons to know the goodness of God so many reasons uh, to celebrate so many reasons to worship you so many things to fill in our list with of how your faithful love has endured forever in our life and will endure forever. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.